Welcome to the Steady Hand Podcast. I'm Scott Ronalds, joined today with Tom Bradley. In today's session, we're going to discuss a topic that we've been writing quite frequently about lately, yield. Now, more specifically, reaching for yield. With T-bills and GICs offering really next to no return and government bond yields near historic lows, income investors are in a challenging spot. Some are choosing to move up the risk scale in search for greater yield, as you phrased it, Tom, in your latest Globe article. Can you expand on what you mean by this? Well, Scott, to get a greater income flow from your portfolio, uh, people are being forced to take a little bit more risk. And uh, it comes in two forms. The most common, I guess, in most of these income kind of products is credit risk. That's the, the risk that the issuer of a bond or a preferred share at some point can't make the payments or return the principal. And then, of course, uh, many people are buying equities, whether it's dividend-paying stocks, income trusts, or REITs. And so that equity risk and the volatility that comes along with equities is being introduced into the portfolio. Essentially, what investors are doing when they start to reach for yield and move from, say, owning a GIC or a government bond into some other of these securities is they're making an asset mix shift. And uh, I guess the point of my column in the Globe and our commentary on the blog is really to say that that's fine to do. Certainly, if you do it in a diversified way where you have no risk of capital loss, but I think you want to do it in a very conscious way and in an appropriate way and recognize that your portfolio will bounce around a little bit more than it would if you weren't reaching for yield. Now, much of the money that flowed back into the market last year went into bond and balanced funds. And on the new product front, everything seems to have the word income in its name. As is always the case when a new trend takes hold, some of these products are, are poised to disappoint. And what should investors look for in an income product and what should they avoid? Well, one thing they shouldn't get too focused on is last year's return. 2009 was a superb year for these types of products, corporate bonds, income-generating equities, and, uh, and the returns are pretty fancy out there. So to get locked in just on what some fund did last year I think would be a real mistake. But, Scotty, essentially income funds, diversified income funds, are conservative, balanced funds. And so I think it's essential that the investor look through the fancy name of the portfolio and understand what the asset mix actually is of the fund. It's, it's interesting. One of the a big full-page ad in the, in the report in business on Saturday, uh, just a few pages past my column, was about a fund that had an 8.4% yield. And uh, it all sounded pretty good, and, and, it, and indeed it could be a good fund. But if you drilled in and looked at that fund, it was primarily an equity fund and indeed owned primarily or two-thirds energy trusts. So it wasn't only an equity fund, but it was a high-risk equity fund that was generating that income. And with that, of course, comes volatility, potentially distribution cuts down the road. So the mix of the fund is really important. I'd also look at the distribution rate. That's usually what they advertise, what the yield is or distribution rate is on a fund. I think you want to understand how sustainable that is. Is it being paid for by interest and dividend income, which is repeatable? Or is the, the manager relying on capital gains? Or in other words, the market's going up to fund that, uh, that rate. And then quite often is the case is the rate is well above what the income flow of the fund is. And indeed, the fund returns your capital to you to pay distributions. Now, that may be tax efficient because that's after-tax money that you already put in the fund, but it isn't really the way you want to go in generating income longer term. 
So that's a factor. And I guess finally, Scott, I'd just say fee. Uh, in a 3 to 4% interest rate world, you just cannot be paying 2 2.5% fees on an income product and expect to get a good return longer term. One thing I might add to that list, Tom, is complexity. Uh, we've tried to keep our fund as simple as possible and be transparent on what the manager is doing within the fund. But if you do come across products that have extra layers of fees or, or guarantees, or you just simply can't figure out how that distribution has been paid, probably best to to stay away from that because it likely isn't sustainable going forward. Turning back to our income fund, how is the fund structured and what should investors expect from this fund going forward? Well, Scott, as you know, it's a bit amusing to us because our fund has become kind of the prototype for so many of the new funds that are coming out. And it is in the sense that it's a mixture of income-oriented securities Clearly, bonds make up a big chunk of the fund, about 70% today, and uh, and two-thirds of those bonds are corporate bonds, so we're getting a little extra yield from them, although, as I pointed out earlier, there is some credit risk attached to that. 30% of the fund is invested in income-producing equities. That could be uh, dividend-paying stocks, income trusts, or REITs. So Connor Clark and Lunn, our manager, certainly likes that mix right now. They They acknowledge that the opportunities today are very different than they were a year ago. Yields in bonds and stocks have come down a long way, but they remain positive on corporates. They're being pretty selective, though, and picking through what's out there, and also very constructive on equities as well. The one thing I will say is that we have done a little de-risking of the portfolio in recent weeks. We had a high-yield component, U.S. high-yield bonds in there, which they eliminated about 10 days ago. And so that has brought the yield of the fund, and this is on a pre-fee basis, down under 5%. And uh, that isn't going to be necessarily the return going forward, but it is an indication of kind of the income generation of the fund on an ongoing basis. So, Scott, we've designed this fund to be a bond beater. We think by taking prudent risk, owning some equities and lots of corporate bonds, we can generate returns in excess of a conventional bond fund. But I think we have to be realistic about returns going forward. It had a superb year last year, but the opportunities for Connor Clark and Lund will be more modest going forward in 2010. Well, let's leave it at that, Tom. Just a few takeaways for our listeners. In a lower return interest rate environment going forward, we should certainly keep our expectations in check. Uh, If you do find yourself stretching for yield, expect more volatility along the way. And realize that you are taking on that additional level of risk. And of course, be wary of products that provide fancy yields and promises. So we'll sign off there. Thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. We look forward to coming back to you in the near future with additional podcasts.